Sometimes when reading Paul, you're going along nicely and you feel, you're feeling that you understand everything he says, and then, oops, he throws a curveball, and uh, you think, oh, it's back to square one I didn't understand in the first place. Well, that's what's uh, in being uh, coming on now in uh, Romans chapter 9. You remember, he uh, says that God is faithful. He hasn't failed in his promise with Israel. He's electing people. And we pointed out, uh, I pointed out to you that that election is not the election of some and the rejection of others, but rather the election of some, calling them at certain parts, certain points in their history and the history of the world, and then calling the rest later. But um, uh, then, so Paul then asks the question, uh, so then, is uh, there unrighteousness with God? And uh, as I said the other day, Paul responds, certainly not, because God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And so uh, election is all about the issue of mercy. It's not about some terrible judgment in which he um, saves some and rejects others, but rather he's having mercy ultimately on all. So there you go. You think you're understanding everything, but then comes the curveball. First, he says, so then it is not of him who wills, that is, salvation doesn't come about by him who wills, that is, has the willpower to do to uh, trust in God or the willpower to be obedient and the willpower to stay the course, uh, nor of him who runs, that is, the person who stays the course, but of God who has mercy. Well, that sounds very good. That helps us to understand that uh, salvation is initiated by God and followed through by God. But then he says this, this is the curveball, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, now wait a minute, what does Pharaoh have to do with it? But listen, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. Well, that just takes the cake. I mean, here we are thinking we understand and suddenly this thing about hardening comes in. And that is where many people just cannot even begin to comprehend what Paul is on about. And so they just elide over those verses. They read the chapters 9 through 11 rather quickly and get on with the rest of the book. Well, what is it then about this hardening and why does Paul introduce it? Well, first of all, let's recall uh, that Pharaoh... I mean, you know, this Pharaoh here comes out of the blue in this uh, uh, discourse that Paul's having. Why does he bring up Pharaoh? Well, remember the story. God was about to deliver Israel from slavery. He tells Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Now, God knows full well that Pharaoh will resist him. He doesn't know about the covenant-keeping, creator-redeeming God. He only knows his petty little pagan gods, and he thinks himself, really, that he's a god, that he has all authority and power, and who is this upstart Moses to come along and tell him to let the Israelites go, who've now become the cash cow, by the way, in Israel, in Egypt, because they're slaves and uh, doing enormous amounts of uh, productive work, 
for uh, the kingdom of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh says, no, I will not let them go. And and Moses explains to Pharaoh that if he does not obey God, then God will send plagues into the land. Well, Pharaoh is not impressed. And so the plagues come, and Pharaoh is shocked to the core. And he says, please, to Moses, tell God or pray to God, your God, to to uh, uh, take away this plague and I will let the people go. And so what does God do? He has mercy on Pharaoh. Notice that. He has mercy on Pharaoh. How do I know that? Because he answers his prayer. Even though he has been a rebel against him, he answers his prayer and takes away the plague. But what happens to Pharaoh when God exercises mercy upon him, it hardens his heart. And so Pharaoh says, no, I won't let the people go. And then God sends another plague. And then Pharaoh prays, uh, asks Moses to pray. And uh, God hears the prayer and takes the plague away. Thus, God has mercy on Pharaoh again. But what happens when God has mercy on Pharaoh again? He hardens his heart. And this goes on endlessly, interminably, well, ten times or so. So, you see, first of all, it says that in the the first few passages, I think, that Pharaoh hardens his heart. Then it says that God hardens his heart. Now, how does God harden Pharaoh's heart? By showing him mercy when he is not ready for it. You see, the Israelites were ready for mercy because they had been brought to an end of themselves. And so when God comes to Moses and tells him that he's going to deliver his people, oh yes, the people are ready. They are ready for sure. But Pharaoh isn't. And that same mercy applied to Pharaoh hardens his heart. So then, you see, what we have here is an example of how God works hardening people and why he does it. Now, you understand that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart had a beneficial effect upon Israel, right? Because every time Pharaoh hardened his heart and God sent a plague, that increased the confidence of the Israelites that God had power to deliver them from Egypt, and that therefore they were gaining increasing courage for the day when they would walk away, lay down their hammers and their tools, and just walk away. So you see, the hardening of Pharaoh was a blessing to Israel because that hardening led to their increased faith and confidence in God. Well, you say, okay, well, that's good, that's wonderful, but what about the hardened ones? You're telling us uh, that God is electing people? Do you mean then that, that he's only electing certain ones and hardening the rest and rejecting them? No, what you will find is that this hardening leads also to the salvation of the hardened ones. That's what's amazing about these passages, but we won't get to to it all at once. What I need for you to understand now is that hardening is nothing new here that Paul is talking about. It seems like it's a new idea, because he hasn't mentioned this word before. 
But you have to remember that Romans 9 through 11 is not a separate section. It's not part two of a book. It is all part of the theme that Paul is working on. So then, if that's so, then surely hardening would have come up somewhere before, wouldn't it, in the earlier part of the book? Yes, indeed. And in fact, it's way back in Romans chapter 1. Because when God says in verse 18 that the wrath of God, the loving wrath of God is revealed against men and women who suppress the truth, what do you think that suppressing the truth is all about? Well, hardening, isn't it? When men and women suppress the truth, just as Adam and Eve first did, when they suppressed God from their minds because they thought that fruit was attractive and pleasing to the eyes and could make them wise and so on, and they listened to the lie and they took that, what did they do in order to do what they did? They suppressed God. They had to push him back, push him behind them, turn their backs on him in order to be willing and uh Uh, delighted in the idea of taking that fruit. That is hardening. And so, you see, what does God do with that hardening? Well, Paul goes into an extended three chapters to show that the not only are the pagans hardened uh, and suppressing the truth, but also the Jewish people in chapter 2, the pagans in chapter 1, and uh, the Jewish people in chapter 2. And thus, he comes to the conclusion that there is none that does righteous. This is chapter 3 of Romans. None whatsoever, none of us in the world, all the world is under the state of the suppression of God, the hardening of God. Now, this is God's wrath, though. Well, what does that mean? As I mentioned to you before, wrath is God's loving, tough love, Uh, which hands people over to the powers of sin when they choose to suppress him or harden their hearts against him. And in other words, God is saying, look, I love you, but I've got to show, not but, but I love you, and therefore I've got to show you what the direction of your life is doing to you. And so I've got to let you have what you want. Because, you see, the people, all the world who hardened and suppressed God, what did they do? They took alternatives to God, idols of him, and God handed them over, gave them over to their idols. That is what God's loving wrath is. It is to give human beings what they want. Now, listen. That's God's mercy, which then hardens the world. Do you understand that? God gives and hands over to the world what he hands over to them what they want. That is, he hands over to them the choice that they have made instead of God. He says, you want Something instead of me, I give it to you. In my grief, I give it to you because I have to show you how it is destroying you. And this is what hardening is all about. Hardening is a tough love redemptive act. 
It is God making sure that those who resist him will finally be brought to their knees. Now, this explains so much in the Gospels, doesn't it? Because what we often think you understand is that God is, uh, Jesus is going about saving those who have faith in him and uh, proclaiming that he is the way to life uh, uh, and there is no other way, and many believe in him. But unfortunately, there's a mass of others, Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and what have you, who don't believe, and unfortunately, they are collateral damage. No. They are not collateral damage. God is working with the believers by miracles and blessings and grace and mercy as much as, and he is also working as much with the hardened. He is actually hardening them more, pushing them to the wall, so that finally their resistance, either in this world or in the judgment, becomes intolerable. And thus, you see, hardening is part of the way that God brings about the salvation of his creatures. Hello there, thanks for listening today. Colin Cook here, and you've been listening to my broadcast, How It Happens. I hope you're finding it a blessing, an enlightenment, an understanding of your own experiences. If you feel you have been hardened then take heart, because you can lift up your heart to God and say, O Lord, I have been hardened so that you can bring me to the end of myself so that I trust in Jesus Christ. Well, if you'd like to help support the program to keep it going, it's now in its 25th year, please do so by sending donations to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado 80160. That's FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado 80160. Or make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. That's faithquestradio.com. Thanks for all your donations all your recent support and your little notes. I appreciate it so very much. And I'll see you next time then. Cheerio and God bless.